Hello, Peripheral Arterial Anatomy and Duplex Imaging, Part 2. We're going to continue where we left off last time, and we are on peripheral artery disease, and we're talking about narrowing of the arteries other than those that supply the heart and the brain. Uh, when narrowing occurs in the artery, it is also called uh, coronary artery disease if it's in the heart. If it's in the brain, it's called cerebrovascular disease. Peripheral artery disease most commonly affects the legs, but other arteries may also be involved. Here we've got a neat little cartoon that says, uh, says hey, uh, what's going on? We, can, we can't feel anything. We're hungry. What happened to the blood and the oxygen and the nutrients? And a uh, little guy hanging on the back of the heel says, sorry, toes. Those pipes are all clogged with plaque. Uh, no blood flow. Atherosclerosis has been here. And the toes say yes, and how do we get rid of this waste? Uh, we have acid burning up in our tissues. And then the little guy here, he says, peripheral artery disease can develop in patients with diabetes and atherosclerosis. It can lead to tissue death. Watch out for gangrene. It doesn't need oxygen to live, which is very true. Risk factors of peripheral arterial disease. Uh, age is the biggest and uncontrollable factor. Uh, as age increases, the likelihood of atherosclerosis increases. Hypertension, it produces excess strain on the walls of the arteries. Diabetes mellitus causes the medial layer of the artery to become calcified, hardening of the arteries. Hyperlipidemia or high cholesterol. In tobacco, um, use damages the endothelial lining of the arteries. So, in your vascular technology book, the Claudia Rumwell in 47, they give a little more detail on some of these risk factors. And diabetes mellitus is the most common uh, form of diabetes. And atherosclerosis is more common among diabetes uh, at a younger age. Diabetes have a higher incidence of occlusive disease of the distal popliteal artery and the tibial vessels. Medial calcification develops in the lower extremity arteries. There is a higher incidence of gangrenous changes uh, and ultimately amputations. Poor sensation as a result of neuropathy leads to increased likelihood of trauma. Adding to that, uh, what we talked about with hypertension, Systematic uh, hypertension is associated with a greater incidence of coronary atherosclerosis. Uh, and it increases one's susceptibility to peripheral artery disease. Hyperlipidemia, plasma lipids are closely associated with the development of atherosclerosis. Um, when you talk about smoking, studies have demonstrated that the chemicals in cigarettes irritate the endothelial lining and uh, of the arteries in addition to causing vasoconstriction. Here we have a foot that does not look good at all. This is from smoking. Um, uh, they're talking about gang what's well, gangrene could be from smoking. Smoking narrows and blocks your blood vessels, reduces blood and oxygen supply to the extremities, feet, hands, and arms. Uh, over time, this can result in pain, open sores that do not heal, and gangrene. Gangrene leads to amputation. Uh, what advice, uh, want advice on quitting, you can call the quit line and uh, talk to your doctor or your pharmacist or visit uh, quitnow.gov.au. Uh, so here they're showing a, 
uh, coronary artery disease, the narrowing of the vessel, and you can see the plaque inside there. And they're showing a normal artery as far as peripheral artery disease in comparison with one with plaque in it. Signs and symptoms of uh, chronic occlusive disease, you have claudication, which is exercise-induced pain that is relieved by rest and uh, caused by a lack of adequate blood supply to an exercised limb. It's reproducible, the symptom. Patients can typically walk the same distance on uh, in each instance uh, when they're experiencing these symptoms. We do this kind of testing uh, in our labs where we'll have our patient uh, We'll do an ankle brachial indice. We'll test the left, their pressures with a continuous wave Doppler and pressure cuffs. Then we'll have them walk on a treadmill for a period of time and find out at what point those symptoms occur, where they occur, document it. We'll take another pressure, see if we have a pressure drop in a specific region or area and try to uh, narrow down the location of the stenosis. This can occur on various levels, the buttocks, the thighs, calves, which indicate the probable level of disease. The buttock symptoms indicate aortic disease, thigh symptoms suggest iliac or femoral disease, and calf symptoms point to femoral popliteal disease. The more severe the peripheral artery disease, the more severe the symptoms, and the quicker they present with exercise. Uh, signs and symptoms of uh, ischemic rest pain, uh, you have severe pain in the most distal portion of the limb usually the foot, uh, toes, or heel when the patient's at rest, usually occurs at night, uh, in bed when the patient's legs are elevated um, at the level of the heart, and typically it's relieved by placing uh, their leg in the dependent position, allowing gravity to facilitate a return blood flow to the feet. So while supine, the patient's lower legs and feet are often pale, and after the patient drops their legs down, they fill with blood and turn red, a common phenomenon uh, referred to as dependent ruber. Some patients might tell you that their feet hurt when they're in bed, but if they hang a foot off the bed and let it hang down, that that pain is relieved. Um, a more severe, this uh, ischemic rest pain, it's a more severe symptom of diminished blood flow. Uh, to the most distal portion of the extremity. Pain at rest usually occurs when the limb is not in that dependent position, as we said, and the patient's blood pressure is decreased. Um, uh, when, for example, like when they're sleeping, as we we're saying, and then the symptoms occur in the forefoot, heel, and toes, um, but not usually in the calf. Uh, signs and symptoms of acute occlusive disease. So here, um, spontaneous occlusion caused by thrombosis or an embolism. It is a limb threatening and uh, should be, it's limb threatening, it should be treated as emergently, very emergently. The symptoms are known as the six Ps. Uh, pain is the first one to the limb or the foot, uh, ischemic rest pain. You have paralysis, the second one, loss of muscular function of the limb, uh, it's a sign of irreversible ischemia. Um, Parasthesis, um, you have sensation of numbness or tingling. Uh, it's a sign of irreversible ischemia also. Pallor is a pale color to the skin due to the lack of blood flow to the limb and pulselessness, no palpable pulse is obtained. And uh, we have uh, poikilothermia, 
um, inability to regulate one's body temperature. The limb is, uh, is cold to the touch. All um, real serious type uh, symptoms here. Uh, some of your resources will even add in a symptom. They'll add, or they might even refer to the sixth one as polar, like cold, you know, the foot so cold. And then they'll add a seventh one uh, called purplish, that seventh P, which is a dark purple color of cyanosis or a cold blue foot. Peripheral vascular disease comparisons that we have here um, when we're looking at uh, arteries versus uh, veins and ulcers. And so on the arterial side, it says the pain gets better if I dangle my foot off of the bed. Elevating my feet makes my pain worse. And um, antiplatelets, um, you have surgical, this could require, you know, for treatment. Or uh, fempop bypass is an example of a treatment. Uh, foot could be cool to the touch. Uh, on that arterial side, you have intermittent claudication pain. There's no edema, no pulse or a weak pulse, no drainage and round smooth sores and a black scar. So that's dead tissue that eventually sloughs off uh, the healing skin after an injury or, or gangrenous ulcer. Could also be due to fungal infection or necrotizing fasciitis uh, or exposure to a um, cutaneous anthrax is another reason that could cause that. Uh, on the venous side, you have dull achy pain, lower leg edema, uh, your pulse is uh, present, but you could have drainage and sores with irregular borders, and you could have a yellow sloth or rooty skin, and the location of the soreness is more at the ankles rather than the feet. So really have some different symptoms between arterial and venous. History and physical, um, you want to do a complete, thorough history and physical before performing any arterial exam. And um, the HMP alone may give you a reasonable idea of what you're going to find uh, with the non-invasive testing. You might have kind of a mental picture before you even start if you get a really good history. Uh, room temperature should be warm to reduce vasoconstriction from cold. I know I've told you guys before that um, I've had the personal experience of being up in an ICU ward where they couldn't get a pulse on a patient and the room was really cold and the patient's legs were uncovered and they both felt icy cold and I'd get a warm blanket out of the hot box and wrap it around their legs and that uh, definitely would help to finding a pulse with our machine. Um, you want to have the patient rest um, uh, comfortably after walking into the room. Um, that'd be, of course, fit an outpatient. And some questions with your history and physical. Um, do you want to ask them, do you have any pain when you're walking? Um, you know, which side, where is it occurring? Um, how far can you walk before you feel the pain? Do you notice it first in the calves, buttocks, uh, thighs? Uh, is it unilateral, is it bilateral? Um, you know, where is this occurring and when? Those are really important factors to document for the radiologist. Um, So 
rest pain? Do you have pain when you lie in bed at night? It's a good question. If your patient's laying down, sometimes I ask them, are you feeling pain right now? Is the pain relieved when sitting up or putting your legs over the side of the bed? Um, these are indicators of arterial disease. Is the pain relieved with elevation of your legs? That's an indication more of venous disease. So it kind of helps you narrow things down, doing a really good history and you know what the symptoms are. Um, do you have diabetes? And does the patient have a history of diabetes, uh, insulin dependent or is it non-insulin dependent? And atherosclerosis occurs at a younger age if they have diabetes. You have trifurcation disease more common, uh, increased incidence of gangrene and unhealing wounds leading to amputation. Um, diabetes is largely a controllable risk factor. If, they were to, if you can lose weight, if you have a known family history, um, control the diet and uh, also control it with medication. So also in the history, you need to ask if they have hypertension, uh, high blood pressure. Does a patient uh, have a history of high blood pressure? It's, uh, there's a greater incidence of coronary artery disease. It's a controllable risk factor with diet, exercise, and medicine. It's important to know. Um, I always ask my patients about their heart history. Um, if they've had some, I ask them, you know, have you had a coronary artery bypass? Um, are you currently on statins or blood thinners? Do you have a history of stroke? Do you have a history of any arterial surgeries or bypasses or anything of that nature, stents, that kind of thing? Real important stuff to know. Hyperlipidemia, have you had elevated cholesterol? Are you on you know, medication for it, uh, you know, high triglycerides, that kind of thing? Insoluble fats in the blood is what your cholesterol is. Uh, it settles in the vessels. There's hereditary factors to this. Um, some people's cholesterol um, doesn't break, it's not made up the same way as others, and you may not have the same large fluffy cells that a lot of people have and maybe they're smaller and they're more sticky and stick to the endothelial lining more which causes plaque it could be more predisposition to it um, controllable risk factors if you eat more of a diet low in fats and take certain medicines and exercise is definitely something that can be somewhat controlled um, or at least they can uh, slow down the uh, progression of the disease Smoking is huge. Um, you need to ask your patients if they're a smoker. That needs to be documented because it does irritate the lining of the vessel walls and it predisposes vascular disease or predisposes them to vascular disease. It's a controllable risk factor. They should quit smoking. Um, in my own experience, if, uh, if with doing arterial exams, if a patient is a smoker and is also uh, a diabetic, uh, it's usually a really bad combination and we usually see quite a bit of plaque on those patients. Um, again, with patient history, age, uh, and uh, male gender is definitely puts person at higher risk. Family history, um, previous history of heart attack, stroke, or, or arterial disease anywhere else in the body makes them more prone to having um, peripheral vascular disease as well. On the physical exam, you want to notice the color of their skin. Uh, is it pallor? Is their skin is the pale looking deficient? Is deficient in blood supply? Um, Ruber redness suggests permanent vasodilation due to chronic ischemia, reactive uh, hyperemia. Um, may also be red due to infection. Um, you'll see plenty of that. Cyanosis, a blue discoloration due to the decreased oxygen in the blood. 
Uh, we see some examples in these pictures. Temperature of the skin, is it warm or is it cold to the touch? I always touch people's feet when I'm working and doing their um, arterial exams. And if one feels colder than the other, I definitely note that to the radiologist, especially if I'm finding disease on that side as well. Um, look for scars to see if they've had a prior surgery. Sometimes patients that are older, they may forget that they had a surgery on their leg and I'll see some scars and ask them and say, you know, hey, you know, I might be scanning. It looks like there was a graft in there and say, do you have some scars? Did you have a surgery? Did you have a bypass graft on this leg? And then they often remember and say, oh yeah, I did. And uh, you can get more details on that. The more information you have, the better. Uh, again, on the physical exam, another thing to look for is do they have any lesions? Are there any ulcers? Uh, usually over the tibial area, um, the deep, dry, and painful ulcers are more associated with arterial side. How long has the ulcer been there? You want to document that. Um, is there any gangrene or tissue death? Um, you know, do we have a black toe or anything that needs to be noted? Uh, trophic uh, changes, do you have loss of hair on the legs, thick toenails? Um, You'll see a lot of that, these brown, thick, wood chip looking like toenails. Um, they may represent a, a decrease to nutrition and uh, palpitation, pulses. Um, they, we do check, nurses typically do that. Some vascular labs also include that and they do check the uh, pulses also. And they do have pulse grades from zero to plus four, and they'll check the aorta, the femoral pulse, the popliteal, dorsal pedis artery, postibial artery, um, and note if there is like a thrill or a palpable ruin. And uh, notes when checking pulses not to use your thumb. On physical examination, oscillation is when one is listening with a stethoscope for a ruin and uh, normal flow does not make a sound. Uh, turbulent or stenotic flow is noisy. Once the flow slows to a trickle, however, the brewery disappears. And um, on page 56 in your Rumwell text, they talk about oscillation or brewies as uh, normal flow patterns um, are evident when listening through a stethoscope and are often described as a lub-dub sound that corresponds with the closure of the atrioventricular valves followed by the closure of the aortic and pulmonary valves. Whereas bruies are abnormal, low frequency, uh, sounds are heard on oscillation. They can be caused by a significant stenosis that uh, sets up a vibratory response in the tissue distal to the stenosis. And as I was saying, the bruies, uh, oh, and they can be graded too as well. So. A one plus is a mild brewery, a two plus is a moderate, and a three plus is a severe. So you may even get an order where one of the ordering physician had seen a brewery and graded it and would document the location of it, which would help you with your um, ultrasound examination. We also look um, in the arteries for pseudoaneurysms because um, the um, angiograms are still often conducted in the groin where they access the artery via the groin and sometimes the patients bleed from that area or may have some swelling or maybe um, a, a doctor may feel they're hearing a brewery in that location so uh, with our ultrasound machines we can look and we can identify if there is an like an AV fistula um, formation or uh, malformation AV fistula 
or if there would be an actual pseudoaneurysm itself. And uh, this is a jump to the physiological testing that I was just describing. So intraoperative and postoperative evaluation of a bypass graft is another thing that we'll look at after they install a graft, sometimes uh, a short while after they may have us check it to make sure the flow is appropriate before the patient leaves the hospital. Or they may just have a serial or have an ultrasound with serial ultrasounds at certain dates after that this uh, graft is in place. Uh, lower extremity color duplex imaging, uh, we use that to identify the exact site of disease, differentiate stenosis versus occlusion, define the length of the occlusion, and identify aneurysms as we were saying. So here you can see on the subclavian artery, there is a distal stenosis where you can see the aliasing and the color change and the color is narrowing in that area also. Imaging native arteries. Uh, more difficult to, or considered more difficult is the aortic to iliac region and uh, more of an easy scan is more typical in the femme popliteal area and not as easy uh, tibial arteries can be more challenging with those smaller vessels going down in the ankle area. Color spectral duplex technique you want your patients to pine and you'll want them for like common femoral artery you want the head uh, slightly up, mainly for patient comfort. Use a five to nine megahertz transducer, start the inguinal crease and get close to the leg. And you can see the sonographer here also has that um, leg position, much like when we scan our Venus, where you have that uh, leg rotated out almost like a frog leg. Color duplex technique, um, identify the common femoral artery and transverse or palpitate the pulse, then go longitudinally. Look in trans, and we can see our femoral vein and our artery and be able to identify which is which. We want to make sure we use our tools to do that. And we want to optimize our image. We want to use our color steering and angle to the vessel as we've been practicing. Uh, we want to make sure our frame rate is adjusted properly so that it's our frames per second, the frequency at which the uh, consecutive images called frames appear on the display and in real time um, it will notice that, that that your image is delayed if you don't have your frame rate set appropriately. It might have your color box way too wide over a lot more area than you need and then you'll see a delay in the images it's responding to give you the information that you want. Um, that's most even more prevalent or very prevalent sometimes when you're doing like biopsies and things and or say you're doing the pseudoaneurysm injection and you got your color box way too wide and you'll see this um, delay and you, you'll see the action of the needle that your radiologist is doing and you'll see a delay in real time on your on your monitor and you as I said you want to steer appropriately and you want to have um, your color gain and so if you and your PRF set right so if you need to increase your PRFs you want to lower the frequency of your transducer um, alter the angle of insulation to decrease the depth of the vessel. That is one thing that's helpful. And you want your color gain um, to be optimized. Uh, it can be increased to fill the vessel with color, but if the gain's too high, then the color pixels will bleed out around the vessel and, and you'll lose quality on your image. So um, if you, you want, oh, and this next image, we have an example here. This is a good image here, and this is to obtain spectral waveforms from the EIA, the external iliac artery, and measure the peak systolic velocity. And um, 
There's no really no color splash over on the color part of the vessel. The box is set appropriately. The sonographer has a good 60 degree angle and the gate is in alignment with the vessel and the, it's uh, uh, your baseline position is appropriate. So you can see all three parts of the triphasic waveform and you're able to visualize that well and the spectral gain is set appropriately also because we have a nice spectral window in that waveform. So what is normal for peripherals, um, the arteries? Primary components of a multiphasic waveform, you have high forward uh, flow during uh, systole due to the left ventricular contraction, and you have transient period of flow reversal in early diastole resulting from reflection of a high resistant outflow bed, and forward flow component resulting from reflection of a closed aortic valve during systole. And so this little image shows these components coming up, also it shows a dichrotic notch, which is um, something that's quite prevalent when you're doing like a renal artery Doppler or doing carotid artery Doppler also. Normal arterial um, waveforms. And here we have a waveform with that systolic phase, dichrotic notch, diastole. And then we can see the components here on this other image. The bottom image is showing spectral broadening. And that's a, that loss of that spectral window. And it indicates that there's a presence of arterial disease, but uh, it can be also due to the scanner itself if you have too much gain. So if you crank up the gain enough, you can fill that window. And even though it's artifact, it could be misinterpreted as some type of disease. So um, it would now be called uh, intrinsic spectral broadening when it's due to the artifactual uh, component of the machine. And uh, in a post-stenotic region, the high velocity stream of blood from the stenotic lumen uh, it spreads out into a zone relatively low velocity and pressure producing a dis disorderly non-laminar flow pattern that is manifested sonographically as spectral broadening. And um, so if you have a, a clear spectral window, it indicates laminar flow with little flow disturbance. And a small sample volume placed in the central portion of a normal flow stream will produce a crisp, clear window. Uh, flow disturbances such as uh, vortices and swirling eddies will decrease the size of the spectral window and should demonstrate flow reversal as well. Spectral broadening can occur with moderate stenotic lesions as well as with severe lesions. So here we have some normal arterial waveforms. Uh, really nice image on the right here showing a multiphasic waveform, a really nice um, upstroke and peak in both uh, nice peak in systole and diastole. Arterial waveforms uh, for external defibrillation. Here this shows the differences between a monophasic, biphasic, and triphasic waveform. The triphasic one up on top is of a normal artery, biphasic waveform uh, in the middle there with increased velocity through a mild stenosis. 
and then C, we show the monophasic waveform with a greatly increased velocity through a tight stenosis. So you want to obtain spectral waveforms in the common femoral artery, the superficial femoral artery, and the profunda femoral artery. And scan, uh, of course you will, and do the same in the popliteal artery with color Doppler, and map any areas of flow disturbance. Here we have an image of the right SFA and uh, superficial femoral artery and the profunda femoral artery, much like the venous side of things when you're scanning that. And here we see a sonographer that is scanning in the popliteal segment. You want to scan with that leg externally rotated or with the patient in the prone position, obtain spectral waveforms, and you want to measure the peak systolic velocity. This is a comp uh, composite image here of several different ultrasound images and showing from, all the way up from the superficial femoral artery and proximal down to the PTAs and uh, nice detail there kind of giving you a, a breakdown of how things look. We can do images compiling these types of things now on some of our newer machines because we're able to scan a, long, a big long segment and make a panoramic image. It wouldn't be quite as long as this, but we can cover longer segments and get longer measurements with that feature. Um, some things that will help you is the major arteries lie uh, right beside the major deep veins. So use the veins as landmarks in the event that the arteries are occluded. Long-standing occluded vessels are often contracted and difficult to identify. To be certain that an artery is occluded, you have to identify it. You can't say it's occluded, I don't see it. Um, use the length of the linear transducer face. It's about four centimeters as a rough ruler to measure occlusion distances that are longer than the image field of view. Um, we also do have widescreen on some of these new machines and we do have panoramic.